This is episode nine with author and speaker Nilofer Merchant. Have you ever wondered how do artists come up with ideas for their next painting? How do CEOs disrupt industries? How do chefs combine unexpected ingredients? Where do leaders find their strength and courage? Well, you've come to the right place. Magical Humans is about to make you feel seen and connected on a whole other level. My name is Vania Vananina. I'm an artist and creativity expert, and I am on a mission to talk to extraordinary people about their creativity, failures, wins, and everything in between. My wish is that these magical humans inspire you to take the leap and lead a creative life. Hi, Nilofer. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad to be with you, Vanya. I am so excited to ask you all of the questions about <laughs> your work and especially onlyness, which is a concept that I adore and that has made me feel so seen on so many levels. Mm. But first, would you like to share your story with the audience? How did we get here? How did we get here? Yes. Well, uh, let's see. I'll do the Reader's Digest version. I am about 25 years of tech experience, uh, shipping about 100 products in my career, which when someone asked me to tally it all up, I, I did. And I was really surprised by the number, but it was $18 billion worth of revenue. Wow. So, yeah. Crazy, right? With a B, not an M. And uh, <laughs> Um, and it's been, so I shipped basically a lot of products, which means that I've sat in a lot of industries and a lot of companies, mostly in tech, but across other groups too. And then in the last uh, few years, I've really been working on thinking about what did I see that was broken inside all those companies universally and how can we fix it? And I was really evaluating that in most companies, in any meeting that you're in, there are people who are hurt and most that are not. Hmm. And I want to fix the fact that we're not actually seeing all ideas. We're just seeing the ideas that come from people who already have power. Mm -hmm. I I just am at a loss for words when I really take in the onlyness concept and the mm -hmm. ideas. Everything that you just explained, like how are these ideas not heard and how are these people in power? How are we taking it de facto, you know, instead of looking around and actually trying things and hearing everyone. Well, and, and for the longest time, I thought, and I think a lot of us think that the work is ours to do, meaning maybe it's that I'm not credentialed enough. So if I get a degree or maybe I'm not, you know, raising my hand high enough. And so if I do that, you know, work harder, lean in thing, or maybe it's, Um, I just actually need to adopt the mannerisms of that person who is getting heard. Mm -hmm. And those are all those are all really false assumptions because it assumes that there's a meritocracy of ideas. Yes. It assumes that it's all on you when actually we're operating in a system. Mm -hmm. And that system sometimes says, you know, puts a hand to our face and says, I'm going to silence you, ignore you. And, um, and, and because I don't even see you. Mm. And how how would you describe onlyness to mm. someone that has never heard of this concept before? Of course, that's the right question, right? <laughs> uh, we're taking it for granted that we did that earlier. Sorry, I should have started with that too. So onlyness. Each of us stands in a spot in the world only you stand in. 
It's a function of your history and experiences and visions and hopes. And here's the key. It's the origin point of all original ideas. And right now, some of us get seen for our onlyness and the rest of us don't. And so what I'm actually doing is kind of figuring out how to get people to recognize and value that all ideas come from that source where only you stand. It's almost like you draw a circle around yourself and you figure out how can I not be different according to the people who have power, but how can I simply be? And in doing so, actually have the power to affect change. To dent the world. To dent the world, yeah. Yeah, Nilofer's book, The Power of Onlyness, Make Your Wild Ideas Mighty Enough to Dent the World, is full of unique insight regarding the concept of onlyness, but also these beautiful, extraordinary stories of people from all backgrounds, from all over the world, that found themselves in these crossroads, and they chose to to keep going and to make their onlyness visible. Yeah, and I think the big thing, the reason I coined a word, and, and sometimes I feel a little chagrin because usually I make fun of people who coin words, <laughs> but it's a newish word because we need one. And and here's why. we Think about the existing language we use to describe those who have originality, but not power. Mm. We call them We call them different. We call them diverse. We call them left fielders. We call them unique. But even when we're saying it positively, these terms compare people mm-hmm. to those who already have power. And we needed a new way to characterize the source of all ideas. And so onlyness isn't relative. It centers correctly. It says yeah. each of us, right? It says each of us has a place of power, distinctly our own. Yes. That force from which we add value to the world compared to no one. It's empowering. Yeah. I wonder if, Vania, you want to share, because we might be able to bring this to life with our listeners, but I wonder if you'd be willing to share the question you've asked me when we first met. Do you remember? Yes, I remember. And I've been thinking about it ever since I contacted you for the podcast. So I met Nilofer in the summer of 2017 when she was doing her book tour for The Power of Onlyness. And every minute that she talked, I was completely fascinated with her life story, with her research, with the stories from the book, with her creative process. I was just fascinated. And for me, the concept, and I think for everyone in the audience, but you know, speaking for myself, the concept of onlyness was something completely revolutionary. So I asked Nilofer, how do I find my audience? And that encompasses everything, but the, the core of it is how can I make myself be seen? Or how can people see me? Because I think, I believe that We all just want to be seen mm. for who we are, just for who we are. No labels, no awards or achievements, just, you know, it's something that, that comes back to our, like, it's like a childlike curiosity wonder thing mm. of our humanness. You know, we just want to be seen. And do you remember what I said to you? Because I have a take on it, but I'm curious what you what you heard. So I remember you told me very specific things like, because I also add, added another thing like, what if I, uh, I asked you about 
mediums of connection with people besides traditional marketing. And I remember you told me to keep speaking my truth, keep telling it like it is, because that would, there wasn't a giant action necessary by just actually saying it like it is, like I felt it, like I saw it, people would listen and eventually come closer. And also to try things in my community. Because I remember I asked you like, what about, you know, how do I connect with people besides social media, which is such a big thing mm -hmm. nowadays. Mm -hmm. And you told me about grassroots approach and yeah. community. Most most people really struggle with this, right? Because here's what they hear when they hear onlyness and and God bless it. It's it's sort of a it's such a sophisticated thing that that I can hear why they hear it. So onlyness is not just a new way of saying you be you. It's not about standing out in a crowd, which is what we often mm -hmm. um, sell, you know, this idea, brand of you. It's about finding your crowd. And social media gets so much credit for it, but it's really social bonds. And so I think about it as, yes, Slack or listservs or DMs can help ease connectivity, but it knowing that who it is that you belong to mm -hmm. is what forms that connective bond. So let's, let's bring it down a specific. So I remember what I said to you, but let's bring it out to the audience. So to whom do you belong? So I'll tell you a, a story of mine. Um, years ago, I was really frustrated by an article that had been written by a woman who was an entrepreneur. She was basically saying women cannot be both mothers and entrepreneurs. The piece had been published in TechCrunch. It was using an anecdote of one and then generalizing to all women. And the piece itself really struck me as a huge uh, a false dichotomy. And I could hear, I could just see like a bunch of people in tech going, and that's why women don't belong in tech, yes. you know? And, And so I ended up really having this like inner like churn and I, because I really thought there was a big lie being told and I had a different take on it. And so I wrote a piece that was really, in fact, when I was sitting there on my couch in my pajamas writing it, I was like, well, no one's going to read this, but it's for me. And I wrote a piece about basically my own experience of having been uh, certainly a mom. I had just quit my company. So in many ways, my data point could be affirming of hers. And mm -hmm. I actually said, no, it's not true. I hadn't built the leadership model around me so I could build a firm that was independent of me. So basically, it was a leadership problem. It was not my personal, like I had not failed because I was a mom. I had failed because I was a shitty leader mm -hmm. and I had not built the firm correctly so that it could scale beyond me. And I wrote this piece. And, and in fact, even when I pressed publish, I was like, yeah, no one's going to, no one's going to read that. <laughs> and, that. And that's totally fine. Like it was really about me, right? Me socially signaling what it was I cared about and why. And then here's the really funny part. There's a woman who's in New York, totally unlike me in every possible way, media person, which I'm not, a non-business person, which I am, right? Just on a variety of levels, had never had kids. She reached out to me and she said, this piece really struck me as important, blah, blah, blah. And I'm organizing some people together on a listserv of, um, you know, sort of badass women who could support each other. And I even sat there and went, well, I don't know what that means, but if I can help, you know, and so we ended up finding each other. And yes. now it's this social network that has this, it's a private listserv, right? But we're bonded because we all share one thing in common, which is, this is what unites us. We actually really want to figure out how to change the ratio 
of women in leadership, in boards, and those who get funded. That's our common uniting thing. And they would never have found me, this woman, Rachel Sklar, they would never have found me if I hadn't done that socially signaling thing. So that seeking one another out is first starting with you seeing yourself and what is it you care about. And then other people can seek you. And then this sort of match starts not based on like in, in many cases, it's not based on gender, right? In this story, it's not based on experience. It's truly what is it that we care about in common, which is this connective tissue, this connective social bond. And that's what's so hard is then it's not me about like, I wasn't standing out in a crowd. It's about finding my crowd. Yes, 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 yes. So much. Yes. <laughs> yes. So yes. I, yes, I mean, you were in your pajamas, just very upset of this thing that was generalizing. And you're like, wait, no, this is not because I am a woman. This is because I didn't make a good plan. Yeah. And that is, and especially now with the gender conversation, you know, it's, it's regardless of what labels you have, it comes down to how did you plan for it or how did you execute your idea? Yeah, and so sometimes we think, We need to change who we are in order to find our crowd, right? And mm -hmm. in fact, somewhat that was actually underlying your question, although yes. you didn't say it quite way, is do I have to change who I am in order to find my people? And I was actually saying, go deeper into mm -hmm. who you are. And as you go deeper into who you are and make it as specific to you as possible, then all of a sudden you will find who it is that you need to connect with. So it's not, for example, like my thing is not feminism in general. Mm -hmm. My thing is about people who want to build specific solutions to actually change the ratio of women on stages, on boards, in entrepreneurship, right? So it was very specific. And then we started to go, okay, now how do we start to actually do that work? Yes. And that, everything that you share that night and also your answer to my question at the moment felt so uncomfortable. <laughs> so uncomfortable. Yeah, And, you know, now for, with perspective, In, in hindsight, I'm like, that is exactly how change starts. It's uncomfortable. I remember just taking it in at, when we were on our way home. I just sat there feeling so uncomfortable because that's exactly what you said. Leaning deeper, going deeper to who you are so your social signals are even stronger. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that is not that common Yeah, advice. It's, it's counterintuitive. It's totally counterintuitive because what you think is in order to find my people, I have to give up a part of myself. Yes. And it's so it's so counterintuitive to then go, actually, what is it that is so singularly and distinctly true to me? Mm -hmm. And that which sounds like actually, by the way, you're going to go all alone. You're going to actually going to isolate yourself out from the world. And it's actually not true. What's going to happen is you're going to see that thread that is so true to you. And in fact, I have a piece of poetry that comes to mind and I always forget who to credit it to. So I apologize for that part, but it's, it's, um, it's as if you see a thread that only you see. And as you pull on it, instead of the fabric unraveling, you find yourself so deeply connected to the world. Oh. And I think that's the piece that we're scared about. We think that if we pull on the thread, the whole thing will come apart. And it's just the opposite. You know, as you were telling this piece of poetry, I remembered an experience, a physical art experience that made me feel this way. Mm. The Kusama Infinity Exhibition of Jajoy Kusama. 
-hmm. I had the opportunity to experience it in the Seattle Art Museum. And there is one specific infinity room called what's left when we go or what's left when we leave, something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's all dark and it's only tiny little dim lights. And it seems like you are, you know, it's the unknown. You could be scared. You could be like, oh, this isn't really that interesting because it's not bright colors. But as you stand there in silence, in the dark, these lights start to dim brighter and lighter. And and then you feel like you're floating. So for me, it was um, a really emotional experience, not just because of the connection with death and the afterlife and my personal loss or my life experiences, but because it's exactly like you're saying, you think you're going to be all alone, but no. In reality, you start seeing all these things that make you feel more connected. Mm. And yeah. coming back to to my experience of of the answer you gave to my question, I felt very uncomfortable and confused for a long time to just trying to figure out how do I lean in more because it's not a matter of, hey, calling people's attention. It's not a matter of being ridiculous so people turn around and look at me. No, it was it was more intrinsic and more, it had more meat or more content. So I did some experiments and those tiny moments when you're with someone and you break the pattern that you've been doing in that relationship. And it still, it was very uncomfortable. But I think the moment when I fully realized that I was enough was um, this past summer, 2018. So a year after I met you, I went to an all women's camp, like summer camp. Mm -hmm. And I had one single goal coming in. My sole intention was to be my truest self. And that could sound trite mm -hmm. or corny, but I just wanted to strip every single thing that had encompassed my personality and just be in silence. And I'm an extrovert and I love talking and connecting with people, but I it had to come. I wanted to connect from a a really deep place. So I chose to not be in silence, but just be. Like instead of being reacting, just just feeling and observing. And I felt so uncomfortable at the beginning because I'm like, why am I doing this? I just, I have this joke. It's going to be so good. And by doing that over the course of four days, I came more and more into my skin and myself and I sank deeper into my being. And by the end, it was so clear to me, the whole experience, the big takeaway was to be more of myself. People were giving me, um, not necessarily feedback, but were telling me things. There was a woman that told me, and this is what prompted me to take this podcast idea forward. She told me, Vanya, I love your voice. Can you record pep talks and send them to me via text. Mm -hmm. I'll pay you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, yes, your accent, your intonation and the things you say, I want to pay you for that. And, you know, mm -hmm. we're not used to, we're used to this meritocracy where it's going to be blood, sweat and tears and hard. And I was like, wait, this person likes me exactly for what I am 
She hasn't even heard a joke from me. <laughs> I haven't even had to take care of her, uplift her. Mm -hmm. So that sank so deep into my being. Yeah, you're centering, you're centering correctly, right? So onlyness, I say this thing when I said, you know, onlyness is that spot in the world in which only you stand. And sometimes what we do is we walk away from ourselves and we go take care of other people because we yes. hope that in taking care of other people or maybe even pleasing them, that we will get seen. Mm -hmm. And actually it's, it's, that's why I say onlyness is, is coming back to stand in that spot in the world where only you stand and not being relative and centering correctly. And as you center into that, which is true to you, you end up being able to offer your own value to the world, right? Because that spot on which you stand informs everything else you do. But most of us don't know how to stand in that spot because we're so used to walking away from ourselves, especially if you're a person who doesn't conform to traditional models of power. So if you're non-white or non-male or you know all the other ways in which power is attributed we can actually go oh i have to go act like a guy so or like even a, here's an example susan kane's book which is about quiet really reminded me that um we reward the alpha loud uh leader and we yes. completely deny the value of the quiet and uh and those of us who are more reflective, do take a minute to kind of gather our thoughts. Um, we're often thinking, oh, we got to be the life of the party. We got to change who we are in terms of how we have a joke, blah, blah, blah. And we've conditioned ourselves to do that other behavior because that's how we get seen. But rewarded. Not, and rewarded. And then, but that's not really being seen for yourself. Exactly. And so then I'm like, okay, if that's really not, if that's a conditioned behavior, which, you know, it's hard to tell sometimes, step back into, okay, what is that source, that centering from which we each add our value? And what does that look like? And, the, and it takes so much, sometimes healing work, right? Sometimes presence work to be able to say, I'm going to stand right here, however uncomfortable that is, and be good with this. And then, then... We can actually be each distinctly and entirely ourselves and then, you know, be seen for that. That's such a beautiful thing. I love that story that the person saw you. Talking to you, Nilofer, actually listening to your voice is like meditating. When you're talking about centering, I just feel like I'm in a Zen state right now <laughs> because I feel so seen and it's we're talking about the real stuff and talking about the real stuff, even that phrase gets so misinterpreted. Yeah. Well, and you know, and it's taken me a long time, right? So uh, I've often told the story, but I haven't said it quite this way. So let me, let me, I think you actually remember uh, that I told the story that I was a daughter of a super traditional family and I was expected to have an arranged marriage, which is to say my mother would decide who I would marry and what I really wanted was to be able to go to college because in my family, all the men got to go off to college and decide their future. And the women, especially the youngest of us, were expected to get an arranged marriage to provide for our family. And I hid this story along with a couple other stories, right? So I hid the story like you wouldn't believe because, by the way, do any people in management world have this history 
like, you know, in the, think about like who I'm trying to um, appeal. Like, yeah. Right. I'm trying to be like Clay Christensen, right. One of the top <laughs> thinkers in the world. He is not Brown. He is not a woman. He's never been told that he does not have power. Although, you know, maybe he has, and I'm just not aware of it. I certainly yeah, yeah. didn't in go a- to any notable school. So I'm not trying to impose on him anything. Um, I have such a different life experience than let's say someone like Clay. And so of course what I did for years was to not center correctly because I was like, yeah, over there is where power is. And so I'm going to go try to figure out how to hide or suppress every part of me that is different. And now just, you know, like this many years later, what I once hit, I now reveal because what I'm doing is saying when I accepted that comparative framework, one that says I am different than those in power. And then I always thought I needed to be someone else to be better. And with onlyness, I can just be. Just be. It's it's so simple, but they don't teach us that. Right. And it takes, it, it takes, I mean, our parents, our teachers, society as a whole reinforces here's what power looks like, right? Which is either you have status in society because you're male, white, whatever, or mm-hmm. you, you belong to Um, you have climbed the corporate ladder and so you have power because of your role within a, a hierarchy. And onlyness is to center, it's a really different way of scaling, right? Which we couldn't do until the last 20 years. It's such a new thing. It centers and now you can actually find the people with whom you share a real um, connection, not not based on what you were born into by color or by whatever, by socioeconomic status, but truly what you care about. And then you can actually figure out how to support one another and scale that idea. And so now that power of place that is your own actually has the ability to scale. And that's why onlyness hasn't, I mean, it's always been sort of like a great concept of UBU, but it didn't work um, because if you were actually going to scale an idea, you needed to belong to an organization or you needed to have power in society. And that's why this is such a mind bending thing that most people won't get for a little while until they you know, because it's, it's such a new construct. It is, but it's, it's, it's simple, but it's powerful. And I think that, as you said, the UBU is not that, even that feels like a layer. Mm-hmm. Onlyness, it's so, it's so big. It's encompassing. It's, it comes from within. It's like this, something emanating out of you, you, you know, social signaling. Well, and most of us don't know how to do it. I mean, I have a really good friend who's one of the top, in fact, I think she is the top sociologist professor in the world. And she happens to be a dear colleague, friend. Um, And at one point she was, she and I were talking about a bunch of projects that were being proposed for her. And she was really struggling with what of these things am I called to do? You know, like, should I do mall? Should I do this? And I talked her through it. And it was really, there was only one thing of these like six things that she was super drawn to. And I, and I just, I was listening to who she was. I was helping create that space for her to stand in that spot in the world where only she stood so that she could then hear herself. And it turns out like she'd been asked to give a TED talk. She'd been asked to write a book. She'd been, you know, just a series of things. And, and all those things were actually not important to her. It turns out the Mm. thing she was most fascinated by was she was thinking about writing an autobiography because she's, had a really interesting career. And, and I realized what she actually wanted to do was hear her own onlyness. She wanted to find her own thread. And here this person is extremely accomplished. In fact, 
a lot of the literature that I'm drawing on for onlyness is drawing from her field. So she knows this work and I'm sitting there witnessing her into being. And it was such a funny thing because then she wrote to me and said, could you please answer these three questions? Cause I finally figured out why, why I didn't understand onlyness. She goes, first question was, why is onlyness hard? Second one was, what does support look like? And the third one was, what does deep support look like? And so mm -hmm. if you now go back and look at my blog entries for the last few entries, I've actually been writing in response to her questions. And I'll, I'll do a synthesis piece sometime soon for those people who are listening and want to you know, join the newsletter process. But I'm actually writing that in response to her. Like she was basically like, I finally get it. Now, could you like basically write what you just taught me? And so it took me a few months to actually kind of distill that down and write little vignettes so that, you know, the next person could come along and hear that more clearly. So it's tough. I'm not saying it's easy. It's tough. Yeah, no, it's exactly those three questions are so important. It's onlyness. It's hard. How does real support look like? Is not just like encouraging words, like how, how is the real thing look like? And what does deep support look like? What does that mean? That is so important to have the right context of this experience, if we're going to embark on this journey, have it clear, you know? Yeah. And we're missing, we're missing that opportunity as in work situations. I especially think about it because, you know, that's my background. We're missing that opportunity to sit there and go, how do we create space for people, including ourselves, to contribute from that distinct spot in the world where only they stand? So is it that we can be in a meeting and say, hey, you know, in this meeting, let's make sure everyone has a chance to voice their ideas. Or it could be if you're building a team, stop asking the quote unquote right people and actually figure out how do I broaden the way in which I invite people to come help, right? So these are these are all fixable things, but the first thing we have to recognize is we're probably only listening to a couple places mm -hmm. in the world. And we're probably including, by the way, for ourselves. And so how do we create space? And creating space is an expansive work. And it's a, I don't want to say never ending work, but it's a, it's a process. It's mm -hmm. not like one day from another. Oh, okay. We made the space. It's done. No, it's actions. It's feedback. It's empowering. It's listening. It's putting ide these ideas from these people that are sharing their onlyness to work, like really, really doing the work. You know, it's not just like, okay, it's a switch. Yeah. I had a, I had a girlfriend, a colleague who was spending the weekend here while she was in town for business. And she asked me a really interesting question. She said, what part of your life feels settled? And mm. I couldn't, I thought that was such a weird question because I was like, yeah, no part of my life feels settled. And then I thought about, because I mean, like, I'm chasing new questions. I'm chasing new ideas. So that, that felt like a weird question. And then I realized actually, I feel settled in myself in that I trust I trust that that spot in the world only I stand is actually enough. That's the only thing that's settled. <laughs> and that informs all the areas in your life because you're centered. Yeah. And, and of course, I get shaken from that. So I'm not trying to say it's like a permanent state. Also, I get shaken yeah. from it. I wish it was a permanent state. I wish I could stay there all the time. But I say that that, that is actually the one place in which we can anchor in our own truth. As of today, Nilofer, what is your onlyness? Hmm. My onlyness is about figuring out how to have people contribute their ideas into the world. Because what I know is true is that innovation comes from new ideas, 
And new ideas come from people and not just people generically, but onlyness specifically. And that connection that I think most organizations don't understand, most teams don't understand, is in order for us to go invent the future, we have to figure out how to tap onlyness. And so I think this is the work I'll be doing for quite some time. What is your dream collaboration in this onlyness spectrum? Hmm. Uh, it's a great question. I've been thinking about what I want to do. My son is now 15, and so I'm getting to a phase 29 months from now where I will be done with that phase of my life. Not that I'm counting, but of course I am. <laughs> I am really thinking about who can I join with? So who? what am I united with people on? Who can I join with to do that? And just starting that conversation about what does it look like? Is it a think tank that figures out how to incubate like pilot projects? Is it um, and so that's actually that's actually a question for me is what is my ideal collaboration? I know it's going to be about growth and innovation. I know it's going to be about how do we tap onlyness? And then I think it's going to be about data and solutions. Like how do you pilot test specific ways in which you can change work context or you know organizational context and then like pilot it, prove it, show people how to do it. Pilot it, prove it, show people how to do it. I think it would be really fun to do that work. Nilfer, you're such a badass. Another thing I wanted to tell you is that the way you blend research and your onlyness, it's for me, it has been eye-opening and it has also helped me kind of settle and understand things. Because as I grew up, I guess the the context that was informing my being were seeing data and innovation and tech in one bubble. And then I guess, you know, onlyness, I didn't know that concept yet, but oneself and inspiration and ideas and creativity as another to totally different world. So, you know, like math and art, totally different. And when I learn about your work and you talk about these two worlds into like they're one because they are, you know, it's for me, it was just eye opening. It's like if I discovered if you're always taught there's only these three colors and then it's like, oh, wait, but there's a fourth one <laughs> and a fifth, you know. So thank you for that. I'm so um, grateful for the work you do, not only because of the huge impact it has in actual people living all around the world, but from a... Um, From my onlyness, it has helped me settle into the world a little more without feeling like I have to be a genius in physics or math. Like two things can exist at once. And yeah. I and I love that about your work. And also your your personality, because the way you weave stories in your books, when you talk, it's fascinating to me. It's funny because I get told by a lot of people, and I just had one of my really good friends say this to me. She said, you know, your book was just a series of stories and no thesis. And I was like, really? I really thought I said, you know, so there's a part of me that gets pushed. You know, this is like where I say I don't say very standard all the time because it's so weird to see one of my brightest friends having actually read the book and not 
not be able to see that what I'm actually saying. And, and I'm like, did I, did I skip writing that part? You know, there's a part of me that starts to question myself. And I wonder if I, I definitely have doubts. So it's really beautiful. Thank you for saying that to me. I really do appreciate it. That's why I'm wandering around that. You know, too many of us have been told for too long that somehow you're not enough, mm -hmm. that you need more letters after your name or to, to like do science when you do art and or simply to, to being told that somehow you need to do better. And it's telling you a lie, a lie that's repeated by those in power because of course, in truth, you are already everything. Mm -hmm. And everything you need is inside of you. And when people tell us to be better, most of the times what they mean is to be different. Yeah. And then that's negating our own self and our onlyness. So no wonder where, where we are, you know? Right. And instead, what I'm trying to do is get people to simply stand in that spot in the world where only they stand because that's how they have something to add to this world. And we need you to. So besides so uh, strong social signaling, how can we make our wild ideas mighty enough? Yeah, so the book, so I'll just go through so people can can like use the book as a sort of a, a, a you know resource. So the first section is how do you know what it is you care about? And that is by starting to see the thread of your own stories. That's the first section of the book. The second one is this socially seeking signaling piece and um so chapters four five and six are about that and then the third piece which we haven't touched on at all is onlyness is now possible because now you can use networks to create scale around your ideas so which means though um i mean everyone sort of thinks oh network power distributed power like we talk about it very conceptually the piece that people don't understand is it means you need to understand how to lean on people and trust people and which means we actually have to know what is it they care about what is it they can do so i know who it is i can and should lean on and so that third section is how do i know how to lean on certain people so that together we can start to scale that idea and that together we can start to make that dent it's so good i i can't get over this concept i I love it so much. And I've enjoyed the stories in the book, especially, I mean, they all have different... Lessons. Exactly. But there's a Kim Bryan story. It just touched me on a deeper level because it's about this very... I don't want to... How do I put this? It's, it's a mom and a daughter and wanting to make the world a better place for her, but not in a trite sense like an actual literal effort to do so. And there's and, and there's all these stories that I've heard you talk about or I've read about, but do you have one only in a story that really strikes you to your core? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I, I think there's uh, two things. One is, first part I just want to say is that I researched 400 plus stories to choose the ones I chose in the book. And um, I actually, the thing I, the reason I had to go so hard in research to find the stories that were true is because the people themselves who were doing these breakthrough things using networks to do it and standing in their loneliness, the people who exemplified the construct of loneliness actually didn't know what the hell they were doing right. Mm. And, uh, and I found it just fascinating. And so 
um, that will explain to you why I'm going to pick the story I, I'm going to talk about. So Franklin Leonard is the story in the book that is a young man, relatively young, like in his late 20s at this point, had been an ex-McKinsey consultant, had gotten fired, realizes he really loves stories and Hollywood. So shows up in Hollywood, like as the most junior person that there is, you know, gathering coffee and, you know, all the stuff that, that you have to do as a junior person entering Hollywood. And at one point, about a year in, he realizes that he's seeing just the shittiest scripts on earth. Like he's like, these are awful. And he's thinking maybe he's bad at his job. So he sends a note out to 90 some people, has them respond back to what scripts have you seen in the last year that haven't been put into production. And I'll roll that data up and send it back to you. But he was really using it to serve himself. And so here's this really funny story of this young man who's got the strong data analytics skills, like ex McKinsey guy and loves stories. So he kind of blends all this. It's totally an only in a story. So when mm-hmm. I ask him, well, what did you do right, Franklin? Just like everyone else I asked, you know, 400 some people, what did you do right? And he said, well, I just shown a bigger light onto the scripts that deserved to be heard. And I said, actually, let me just process that out loud for you. That can't possibly be true because everyone wants to find better scripts. So the richest guy in Hollywood could have fucking done that if it's just about shining a light. So that's mm-hmm. not it. And, and Franklin's like looking at me like, I really don't know. And I go, yeah, that's because no one knows. And so what I said to Franklin was actually, you had such an eccentric group of people that you had already connected with. So they were listening for a different set of stories. And then I said, and you're completely underestimating how strong your quant skills are that you could actually do a data analysis roll up really fast. So the combination of that spot in the world, only he's standing in the network he has to tap into and the skills and experience he brings to it, combined with this vision that he might be able to find better stories turns out to be so distinct to him. And he ends up accomplishing this and about a couple of years into this process where he's publishing this list, I think he's only done it once, maybe twice at this point, somebody who's really, really powerful in the, in the industry calls him and is trying to get him to do the right thing and kind of introduce him um, to his boss, who at this point is Leo DiCaprio, like his boss's boss. And, um, and, and he says to Franklin, who you know, is a relative peon in the Hollywood infrastructure, he says, yeah, I have it on good authority that this movie is going to make it on the blacklist. <laughs> yeah, the blacklist. Right? And unbeknownst to the guy who's totally bullshitting, yeah. <laughs> Franklin's like sitting there going, Fuck. like, you know, and, and so he realizes he's onto something. And that's what I love is it came from his gift. Um, it's centered correctly on his set of capacities. And so even Franklin and all the other stories, every single person would say to me, you know, here's what it is I'm doing right. And it was never that. It was that thing that was irreplaceable and that only they could do. And in doing that, which only they can do, simply by standing in that spot in which only they stood, they had something so distinct and valuable to add to the world. And then they did. And so even the people who were doing it don't understand why and what it is they're doing because it's counterintuitive to them. Um, so I, I love Franklin's story because I actually said it back to him. And in, in most cases of the 400 stories, I would listen and kind of be shaking my head like, yeah, that's not it. But I couldn't tell them that. I just didn't feel comfortable yes, with Franklin. Yeah. I actually said it. And he's like, really? And then he sat there and processed it with me. And and I remember just having this aha moment with him, which is probably why that story has more meaning to me, is I realized, oh, that's why I'm having to do all this research is because no one knows. Mm-hmm. 
one thing that struck me about the story was that I kept thinking, it's, it's, was a lingering thought after I read it, was that the element of people not knowing, of being it kind of anonymous. So Yes, yes, that was true. Because then I thought, it's like when people ask you like, oh, what is your favorite show? And they say something maybe nerdy or acceptable, but in reality, their favorite show is The Bachelor. You know what I mean? So it's it's what we do in the when no one is seeing us, what we do in the dark, when we're alone, when when we have the assurance that no one is gonna know. For sure. So I feel like that brought up because those all those people maybe didn't have the balls to bring up to their bosses these unique stories because they thought it's not gonna be enough or they're gonna make fun of me. But then when they felt they found a safe place, anonymous place to answer and truly share their ideas. They did. Right. And then frankly, it was, it's, I, f I think it's just so interesting. Yeah. The, the Franklin created that space for people, including himself. Yes. To, to stand in that spot in the world. Only it's beautiful. It's a beautiful meta story. It's great. Thank you for that observation. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's uh, it's really good. Isn't the concept of loneliness amazing? I can't get enough of it. I love Nilofer's book so much and I want you to have it. We're doing our first ever Magical Humans giveaway. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and you could win the power of loneliness. To be entered, send a screenshot of your review to Vania Vananina on Instagram. And to double your chances to win, post about Magical Humans podcast on your preferred social media and tag me. I can't wait to read your reviews. Thank you so much for helping us spread the magic. Good luck! What is the best advice someone gave you? Feed the eagles, starve the turkeys. So, you know, often we pay attention to the thing that's the loudest thing next to us and... Um, so in the case of like managing people, that was the context in which I was given that advice, feed the eagle, starve the turkeys. And, um, cause you know, the people who were right near me and making noise and stuff were the people I would pay attention to. And he, and my boss was saying to me, actually, there's only a couple things that are going to matter. Those are the things that are going to actually make a huge difference. What are they look up and notice those things. And now I really do, uh, try to figure out what are the eagles and what are the, what are the turkeys and, The turkeys are actually good ending for themselves. Like ignore the turkeys mm -hmm. and feed the eagles. That's interesting. And that can be applied to many things. Mm. What has been the hardest lesson to learn? Mm. When, when I've been doing all this work of loneliness, it's, you're going you're gonna to laugh. A lot of people don't get it. And so part of me starts to wonder if I don't, if I'm not. <laughs> if you're yeah. doing the right work. Yeah, if I'm doing the right work. <laughs> And, um, and so, so many people like my, you know, good friend I just saw the other day and, uh, who really don't get it. And I'm looking at her like, maybe, maybe it's me, maybe I'm wrong. And so I question myself <laughs> Your so hard. Yeah. I question it so hard, whether or not the idea is right, whether or not I'm working it in the right way, all that stuff. And I, I get shaken off my own truth when, especially people I really, you know, are in my inner circle and I respect already. And they've actually done the work of reading the work. I'm looking at, I'm like, yeah, maybe, maybe I should give up on my own ideas. And, um, so it, that it is very funny. It's, it's a, uh, what do you call it? It's meta. Yeah. 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 It is because by doing your most truest <laughs> in your work, then you, yeah, it is. 
I guess that's life. <laughs> what is a moment when you feel magical? You know, it, it like, um, like this morning I was running off to go do a workout at Orange Theory and it's an eight. 10 class, which means I run over there at 745, which means I leave the house before my son goes to school. And, and my magical moment this morning was that I said to him before I was leaving, I said, Hey, have a great day at school. You know, and I was just expecting to have him grunt at me because he's 15 years old, grunt at me from upstairs and ignore me completely. He ran downstairs and gave me a hug. And that was magical. Oh, that's so sweet. What is a toy you always wanted, but never had? Well, I had a toy when I was young that, I mean, like I still persistently shop for, which is the weirdest thing. I can't even describe it, but it's one of those, like, let me see if I can even characterize it. That's the weird part is I can't describe it. So it's a toy where if you pulled apart the strings, the thing that was in the middle spun and when it spun, it lit up. Oh yeah. And I don't know what it's called, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's sort of like a yo-yo, but with two things pulling on each side. And when I was young, I had gotten it at a circus And to this day, like I go to a toy store and I actually shop for that thing because I, I just wish I had it. I don't know why. It's like, <laughs> it's indescribable. But the yeah. feeling is like, oh, I wish I could find that toy. I think that was a cool toy. So if you ever figure out what the heck that thing is, or if one of your listeners do, like help me figure it out so I can actually shop for it. <laughs> Will do. What is one thing you're very good at and one thing that you're not good at? I am really good at helping people figure out their onlyness. I can see it, spot it, create the space for it. And then what I'm not good at is I find people don't do the same thing for me. They don't feed back into the system. So I end up being super depleted because I'm sp creating space for so many people. And I'm just not necessarily getting that same space for being seen back. And so figuring out who are the people who can do that for me? How do I put myself in their context? I don't necessarily look like someone who needs help uh, or needs support. And so my friends are like, oh, she's got it. And, uh, and instead, I really do need, uh, just like everyone, I need to be seen and supported and space created for me. Oh, yeah, that is so important. And I'm so glad that you're mentioning that because one could, you could easily come across as this super energetic, powerful, I mean, you are a powerful woman and and seeing everyone and just with the magic and doing all this work and helping all these organizations and people around the world. But you're also a human that needs quiet time and hugs and rest. And rest, exactly. So a friend of mine who was, who was there on Saturday noticed that I had really been supportive of everybody else. So she sent me a text afterwards. She goes, I heard you say you were tired. I heard you give to us. And she goes, what are you doing for the rest of the day so you can take care of you? And I was like, oh, she's me, right? So I was really supportive of her. What was the last gift you gave someone? Hmm. Uh, well, I give gifts all the time. I'm, I, it's my language of love using uh, Gary Chapman's work. My language mm -hmm. of love is gifts. So I love giving gifts. I am making one right now. I, um, I chose it. Uh, because it's this really abstract thing. So it's a quilt. Um, and the pattern that someone had created was really amazing. It was like fragmented. And so I am going to give it to someone who I think holds different people's fragments and helps create a cohesive whole. And I love the pattern because it communicated that. And then I chose the colors in response to what I think this person's going to like. And 
I'm going to finish it like sometime in the next few weeks and gift it. Nilifer, you're so thoughtful. So thoughtful. That is amazing. That's going to, I cannot, if you could share your sewing talents and share that quilt with the world or even me, I, I would really appreciate it. That sounds amazing. I'll send you a picture when it's Please. done. Please. All right, I will. Could you share an unpopular opinion? Mm, should I share an unpopular opinion? Yeah, um, like uh, this one's known. I'll tell you one that's less known. Uh, so like I really hated Lean In when it came out. Um, I hated it beyond words um, <laughs> because uh, I was like, this won't work. Like it's telling you it's all on you, which uh -huh. completely ignores the other half of the equation, which is that it's it, it, that we all live in a system and the system shapes what the hell we're allowed to do. So I was like, I'm pretty sure she wrote the book so that she could become treasury secretary or something. You know, I, it was just bullshit. And, um, and that so many women bought into it and supported it and promoted it. And I was just like, you're fucking setting yourself up to fail. So that was like, uh, in fact, if you ever now go back to history and you see what I wrote at the time, I wrote, this is a really good book for men to read. Mm. Uh, and I, cause I, I was like going to say something about it, but I was like, uh, yeah, women should not read this because it's, bullshit. Um, so it's a really unpopular opinion because amongst especially white feminists, they just love Sheryl Sandberg. Wow. With Lean In, to be honest, I stopped reading because it felt like all this pressure, exactly as you said. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all on you. And what about what about the environment? I remember one maybe one story where I felt like, oh, okay, that's the community or the environment supporting this woman, but mm -hmm. it did feel like, oh, yeah. And to finish up, one last question. What is your favorite word? Onlyness. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I did not see that coming. What am I thinking? Onlyness. It's, uh, it's one of those ideas that, you know, when the book came out and it sold very little and my, my publisher took time to write me how, you know, in their mind, I did a terrible job. I actually it was like, well, maybe I should give up on this idea and find another idea because, you know, I'm good at ideas and I'll go on to the next thing. And, uh, and it's, it's been one of those ideas that the more I've, so therefore I've tried to let it go. Like, you know, maybe I shouldn't focus on this. Maybe I should focus on something else. And in truth, I've gotten back to, this is the idea that, that keeps calling to me because it's such a rich vein on which to keep pulling. And it's, it's, I think it's my life's work because if anything, I, I think it's the struggle I've had all my life. And so I'm coming back to what is it that gives you power? What is it that gives you worth? What is it that lets you feel essential? And how do we also use all that for the benefit of innovation? So it's, it's that intersection, which is completely my own, you know? And so of course I'm the one who's chasing that question. Oh, it's so good. Thank you, Nilofer, for your time, for your generosity, for sharing your knowledge, sharing your onlyness, for standing in your onlyness and in doing all the work that you've done so we are able to find or connect with our onlyness. I love your work. I love you. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. This is what I'm taking away from my conversation with Nilofer. Number one, 
Loneliness means each of us stand in a spot in the world only we can stand in. And by just being our true selves with our unique traits, we have the power to affect change and to vent the world. Number two, loneliness is not another way to say you be you. It's not about raising your hand higher, and it's not about adopting the mannerisms of someone who is being heard. It is about embracing our loneliness and making it visible. It's about social bonds. Number three, keep making your loneliness visible and the right people will find you. Sometimes we think we have to change who we are in order to find our crowd, but it is actually about going deeper into who you are and making it as specific to you as possible. And all of a sudden, you will find who it is who you need to connect with. Number four, sometimes we hope that by taking care of other people, or even pleasing them, we will be seen. But in reality, it's about coming back to that spot in the world where only you can stand and centering into what is the most true to you because that spot in which you stand informs everything in your life. Number five, when we go out of our way to hide our loneliness, we are only doing ourselves a disservice. Turn back, it's the other way around. Sink deeper into yourself. That's where the true power resides. Number six, find out what it is that you are really drawn to. Lean deeper into it. Number seven, what does real support look like for you? Figure it out and ask for it. Number eight, in order to lean on other people and trust them, we need to know what is it that they care about. Find out, and then together, you can scale your ideas and make a dent in the world. Number nine, our gifts and specific set of skills help us create irreplaceable things and experiences. This is tremendously valuable to the world. Number 10, have the courage to do and say the things that you only do when confident that no one sees or hears you. Embrace your onlyness. Number 11, Recognize the ideas that need your help and attention to come to life and trust that everything else is going to take care of itself. Number 12. Remember to create space for yourself. Everyone needs to be seen and supported. Being strong doesn't mean we can't rest or we don't need help. We all need to be taken care of. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and you feel a little bit more inspired, more magical, more human. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show. Say hello to me on Instagram and tell me what resonated with you or what did you like the most about today's episode. If anything you listened to made you think of someone, please go share it with them. The world is a better place when we make each other feel seen. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. I see you, I hear you, I love you. Talk to you next week. Bye. This show is produced by Annie Fassler of Puddle Creative with music by Megan Diana and cover art by Vania Vananina, that's me, and Maya Busby.